This is the Lee Brothers on 820 The Answer, www820 I'm Aaron Goldbertson in for the Lee Brothers. Got a good show here today. Got David Holland, the former Henrico County surveyor and a heck of a guy sitting in here with us. And we got the esteemed William Gerald Hanby, the author of A Gambler's Feast, A Summer of 69, uh, with Keith Publications, available on Amazon.com and stores everywhere. How you doing, Bill? How I'm you doing, doing great. Doing great. great. Bill, why don't we talk about your book for a while? Fine with me. It's uh, it, it, There's a lot of similarities between 1969 and what's going on today, but why don't you give us the overview of the book and you know, give the audience your, your pitch here, <laughs> why, why they should read it. Well, thanks for having me. It's a book about a lot of things, risk, um, coming of age, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, it's hard to walk that rickety bridge from late adolescence to young adulthood, no matter when you're growing up. But this is a coming-of-age story about a 20-year-old when the country was really in turbulent times. Summer of 1969, he gets a summer job. He's not doing well in college. Uh, he's about to flunk out. He's about to be drafted. It was, uh, it was a tumultuous time. And in a lot of ways, it's starting to feel a little bit like the summer of 1969 in this country right now, I think. In what ways do you think? Well, the country's pretty divided back then. And, uh, Dave and I are approximately the same age, and uh, he lived through it. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, the, the cultural landscape was shifting. The war was raging. Seems like something crazy happened every other month. I mean, the summer of 1969, it was Woodstock. Ho Chi Minh died. Manson murders. Men walked on the moon. Protests. Protests everywhere. And, you know, I, and, you know, we think back about these recent protests we've seen. And they're big, and they're significant, and some, I guess, are organized, and some are spontaneous. But they were still not like it was that summer. There were there were people in the street all the time. David, what do you think is the similarities between the summer '69 and today? Uh, well, actually, the, Bill's book is uh, really has it right on the money. You know, the old joke is uh, if you live through the '70s, you probably don't remember a whole lot of it. But uh, but those were fantastic days. That's when I was in college. Bill was in college back in those in the early 70s, late 60s. And Bill's book really encapsulates that whole era. So uh, anyone who reads it, especially if, you've, uh, if you're old enough to remember any of it, then you will really enjoy this book in a big way. Some of, some of the people who are old enough to remember any of it may, may not for other reasons. Well, if but, I could just add one thing. I, it it's, has been really well received by boomers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because it's that time, our time. But it's also gotten a very good reaction from uh, millennials. Because, like as I said earlier, it's about the summer of 1969, but we all got to grow up sometime. And we all face risks and challenges and take some risks we should. What do what, what you think are uh, protesting is a very big uh, topic these days? There's protests going on all the town halls. There's protests going about Trump. There's protests going against Obamacare. What, is, what do you think are the similarities and the differences between the protests that were going on in the, in the 60s and early 70s? Uh, well, this, this is not based on any sort of scientific fact. But as the character in the book, Victor, says at one point, there are very few people who were really committed. There are a whole lot of people who were acting like they were committed, who got in the street just because it was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, weren't really... So I, so I don't know. In some sense, it does feel like the people that are out in the streets now 
seemed like they may be a little more committed. Well, what what was the 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 main thing was the war in the sixties and the seventies, right? Right. There there seems to be to me in my observation that a lot of the people today are protesting, particularly the young people are protesting just to protest. They may not be as committed as they were uh, when y'all were younger. Uh, what do you think, David? Well, you know, this was, like you already said, this was all about the Vietnam War back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. So uh, there was a lot of protesting going on. And, uh, of course, all the students at colleges at that point in time were, were really active in that situation. And as Bill said, it was also a lot of fun to go out and protest back then. So we didn't have near, well, there was a lot of violence in certain places, but the college where I was was at, which was the uh, University of Memphis at the time. That's an accredited school, is it? It is. <laughs> has been uh, in the last few years or so. At, at the time, it was called Memphis State University. And uh, we had just a great time with the, with the whole era, even though there were a lot of us who were afraid we were going to get drafted and go to Vietnam and... And uh, so there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, angst at the time, to put it mildly. And uh, at the same time, we had classic rock was really heavy duty back then with the English invasion and all the music was going on. It was just a lot of fun. It was not just a protest for the Vietnam War. It was just a lot of fun, especially if you were in college at the time. And that whole era was just uh, was a party just about all the time, it seemed like, of one sort or another. Well, I, I, I can give you one more snapshot. It wasn't a party. And it's another way to draw a comparison between what's going on now and what was going on in the late 60s. Uh, my freshman year in college, I was at the University of Mississippi. And I was down there when Martin Luther King was assassinated. And school was called off. And I remember flying through the Memphis airport, matter of fact, uh, back home to Cincinnati, Ohio. And the city was on fire. And there were cities on fire all across the country. By comparison, we haven't seen anything that extreme yet. Thank God. Right. How do you think? How do you think the characters in your book would re- would respond to a President Trump? Oh wow! Uh, I think the characters in my book, uh, the young characters, would think he was Satan, and I think the older characters would probably either be apathetic or dig him. You know. That seems to be. A- a uh, a pretty good comparison to today. What it, True. What do you think, David? Because we we've all for the yeah. for the audience's uh, edification, we've all read the book, and this book is an amazing book. I've enjoyed it. It's entertaining. Uh, you get into the characters, and it's it's a book. It's not an ideological book. Just so the audience knows, it's an entertaining book, and uh, and there's a lot of it takes you back to the moon landing. It takes you back to the things that were going on there. But what do you, but, and, you know, David, you've read, again, we're talking, again, we're talking about A Gambler's Feast, the summer of 69, uh, William Gerald Hamby, Keith Publications, on, uh, available on Amazon.com and other bookstores. But uh, what, you know, do you, do you kind of get that, uh, that same thing out of the book when you read it going, you know, if, 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 if Trump was president back then, or you transported these characters uh, to today, how would they react to President Trump? Well, now that's a very hard question, Aaron, because... It was a completely different environment back in those days. And so I'm not sure how you can really truly relate uh, the Trump presidency now back to in the days when uh, when Nixon was the president, for example. Right. And so uh, uh, it's very hard to re- compare the two as far as I'm concerned. But on the other hand, uh, Bill's book has really uh, 
really caught the flavor of the era in such a great way that even for those millennials who haven't, uh, who aren't there, can read Bill's book and they can get a good, a really good feeling of what things were like back back in the 70s. Uh, you know, in Bill's book, uh, the uh, they, the kid goes out to Lake Tahoe. He doesn't know what he wants to do in life. He's kind of uh, kind of uh, floundering around out there, and many of us were in that same situation back then. So in that regard, uh, the book really catches that whole era. Any any last thoughts with 10 seconds of time? Oh, you hear a lot of the same words, cover-up, special prosecutor. Uh, in that sense, there's some, some, uh, certainly some similarities. All right, well, this is Aaron Gulbertson. Is Aaron Gulbertson in for the Lee Brothers on 828 WNTW. Thank you very much. Ten minutes. That's it. Ten minutes and a black Sharpie budget crisis solved. The Lee Brothers, problem solvers on 820 WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. The website is 820theanswer.com. And if you want any more information, click on the picture of the Lee Brothers. I'm Aaron Gulbertson, substitute hosting today. Uh, at my right is the eminent David Holland. On my left is the author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 69, but William Gerald Hamby. And on the line is Boyd Marcus, who some have called the Prince of Darkness, Darth Vader. I call him my dear friend and the greatest political consultant Virginia has ever seen. How are you doing today, Boyd? Oh, fine, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to I wanted to hear your thoughts on the Trump speech because that was obviously a groundbreaking speech. But you've got a lot of history and and we're in D.C. with Congressman Wiley to see the Reagan speeches and you and I don't think anybody can can analyze this better than you can. So you know what are your thoughts on this? I thought he did a great job. Um, you know the. Uh... You know, he spoke clearly. He spoke to the American people, and he sent the and folks in Congress a, a clear message that you know he's going to do what he says he you know what he had been saying all along he was going to accomplish. And I think that the speech itself was uh, it it was it did not rise to the heights of Ronald Reagan's best speeches in the '80s, but it beat the heck out of everything that Clinton, Obama. Uh, and Bush did, and with the exception, actually, of the Bush uh, speech right after 9-11 when he spoke to Congress. But uh, it beat heck out of all the rest of them, and uh, I, I think he did a great job. Yeah, I, I think he hit it right on the mark. I think, you know, some of the people tried to criticize saying it didn't have a lot of details to it, but I think it was a reset speech. Uh, the question is, where does the president go from here? Well, you know, I, I agree that it, it was not a lot of detailed speech, but what happens in the, the typical State of the Union speech is that uh, it becomes a laundry list, and particularly under Clinton and Obama, that, that was the way it is. But it basically every cabinet secretary puts in, you know, suggestions for all the things that affect their uh, area that the president ought to talk about. Uh, I think this was a much more a strategic speech, uh, it was a reset, uh, and it, but it was the president directly talking to the American people and cutting out the crap that the news media attaches to everything else he's been trying to say. Um, and I think that's exactly what was needed. 
And I think some of the lines in there are extremely memorable lines. I mean, his lines about, the, you know, that, that he's president of the United States, not of the world, of that, that, he, that was his responsibility is to be president of the United States. Uh, of America, and um, I think that's what people are, you know, would are really wanting to hear. Uh, I think his, I think the points he made on health care reform were very clear, and I think, like you know, most of us who are conservative Republicans, uh, we may not have agreed with him on every single issue, but there's no president I've ever voted for that I actually agreed with on every single issue. Uh, you you pick the man who's uh, they give us a choice of two, and you pick one. And uh, that's what I think we, you know, I think he's done exactly what's needed. Yeah, I think the most important thing he did was he was presidential. He was clear about what his agenda was. Uh, I really appreciated the part where he honored uh, the wife of the, foreign, of the fallen soldier. That was, that, was, that was a moment I think that they'll replay for years to come when they go over the, the, the State of the Union-type speeches. But, um, yeah, I mean, what uh, what did you make of, real quick, we've got like 20 seconds, but what did you make of the the Democrats walking out as quick as they possibly could? Was that a statement? Well, I, I think, that, I think they, they, they went in there, and he could have given the greatest speech ever given. He could have repeated George Washington's farewell address, and they would have walked out and talked about how bad it was. Right. Um, I, I mean, there really was no, there was nothing he could do that was going to change their minds, and you know, and I and I think that's that's the way it is with them right now. All right, Boyd. Well, thank you so much for your time. We got to run. This is Aaron Goldberg for the Lee Brothers on eight twenty WNTW. You may try all you want, but it's too hard to argue with common sense. The Lee Brothers on eight twenty WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. Click on the picture of the Lee Brothers to find out everything about them. I'm Aaron Goldbergson, in for the Lee Brothers. We've got the esteemed David Holland here and William Gerald Hamby, the author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 69. I think we got this. This will be a short segment here, but I, I, did you guys see the tweet that Trump did today? And, and this is what I love about his tweeting as he shows his sense of humor. They found a picture of Chuck Schumer and Vladimir Putin, and he wrote, we should start an immediate investigation into Senator Schumer and his ties to Russia and Putin, a total hypocrite. And, you know, I guess he's going to get trashed by it by the liberal left, but I, I found that to be a demonstration of his sense of humor and sense of irony just with his, uh, with his New York wit there. What do, you, what do you think about that, David? Well, once again, I think uh, President Trump has... Uh has done a great job. I think uh, he has really, with that, with that speech, he has really become the president of the United States. I think he really, uh, he really made the best speech of, uh, that he's ever made that I've heard from him. Fantastic speech. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that, about that in the last segment uh, with Boyd Marcus. What did you think of the speech, Bill? I thought, it, I thought I, honestly, I didn't see all of it, but I've seen enough of it to know that uh, he, he, I thought it, he did a good job. I, uh, as far as the, the, the tweet, I think anybody, politician or not, who's in a position of authority who has a se- who can show a sense of humor is really smart because that's it's a smart. Yeah, and I think his sense of humor is underappreciated by a, a lot in in both the media and on the left. 
Uh, part of it is, is I think they'd laugh at it if, uh, if it was a Democrat doing it, and that's just we're in such partisan times. But I, I have always appreciated his sense of humor and his sense of irony, and I think that's, that's something you need to do that kind of job. You can't be president of the United States if you can't, uh, if you can't crack a joke or laugh. Uh, one of our friends in the cigar shop, Mike Davison, is, uh, in, that hangs out with us at Cigar Realm 3 Chop, has a very good sense of humor, similar to Trump's in a little ways, a little more corny, though. But, uh, well, that's it for this segment. This is Aaron Gulbertson for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. Richmond's example of radio as the founding fathers intended. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. This is the Lee Brothers on 820-WNTW-820theanswer.com. Click on the picture of the Lee Brothers. This is Aaron Gulbertson in for the Lee Brothers. They've been kind enough to let myself, the eminent David Holland, and William Gerald Hamby, the author of Gambler's Feast Summer of 69, uh, keep publications available in Amazon and bookstores everywhere. You guys having fun still with the show? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for being thanks for having me. Well, hopefully we're not letting the Lee brothers down. I think uh, they put a lot of faith in us today, and we're having some fun. But you know, for uh, I, we've been plugging Bill's book so much, I'm going to plug mine for a second, and I'll segue into the segment, which is I got I wrote a book called uh, Smoke Filled Rooms. It's about a it's a tale of friendship, politics, and cigars, and how we all know each other, Dave and Bill and myself is we got to know each other in the cigar shop. We all hang out uh, at least a few times a week uh, at Cigar Realm 3 Chop, and, uh, with, which is located at 3 Chop and Cox Road in Henrico County. Imagine that. I know, right? That's, you know, a mile from my house. But, Who knew? But what, you know, the cigar, and, and what I talk about, and, and, and David and Bill will, I think, second this, is the cigar community. It's not just something you do. It's not like a... It, it, it crafts friendships. The, the, the act of smoking a cigar, sitting around uh, with men or women talking, it bonds you together. We share our life experiences. We solve the world's problems. And it's not something I think the majority of the public understands. Uh, cigar smokers tend to be more conservative, but they're also a lot more tolerant of other people's beliefs. We have some hefty debates that go on. And, uh, but yeah, I mean... Bill, why don't you share your experiences with the, with the well, cigar community? Well, that what you just mentioned is is uh, one of the things that's important for me is that the cigar community in general and uh, the, the the places we smoke, like the Realm on Three Chop, very diverse. And I don't mean just racially diverse. There, there's every political point of view, uh, but there's everybody has at the end of the day. And maybe it's because of the cigar smoke, but everybody is very tolerant with each other about. Uh, I mean, in different situations, it could get ugly, but everybody really gives everybody else a break. That doesn't mean that a few voices don't get raised, but there's no uh, wagging fingers in people's faces and jumping up and running outside and coming back in with a firearm. It's a, uh, you know, it, it, when I have tried to describe this to people, it's it's like the. The classic uh, stereotypical uh, uh, general store with a potbelly stove and people sitting around it and keeping each other up to date and sharing, as, as Aaron says, sharing stories. And speaking of stories, he wrote a great book about that called 
smoke-filled rooms. Why don't you talk about your book? Which is available on Amazon. From one author to another. Yeah. Would you, would you please plug your book, Aaron? I know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make David feel bad because now he's got to write a book too. But yeah, no, it's it is a tale of it's it's a fictional work uh, detailing the lives of about four or five friends. They go to cigar cigar shop every day. They work together in politics. Hilarity ensues. Uh, there's a story in there about one of the guys had a gun put to his head and how he survived it and managed to laugh about it afterwards. Uh, there's a there's a number of stories in there, there including at the time a uh, a candidate's son got stabbed and didn't realize it on a campaign, and it's it's designed to make you laugh and chuckle, but also to give you a real insight into the war, into the community that we have, which is the only place in the world that I have found um, that that people come together and you have conversations and it's, it's, it's almost like magic that just sitting there smoking a cigar gives you an instant connection with the person sitting across the table or sitting next to you. Now, let me ask you a question that I get asked all the time. And I think you do too. <clears throat> Mine is a book of fiction. I think you would call yours fiction. So Aaron, is that really you in there telling stories from your life? Because I get asked that all the time, and I have to have an answer, but I want to hear yours. Uh, the, the answer is is every author writes what they know. And the beautiful thing about writing a work of fiction is you can take inspiration from real events, but as you will say, it is fiction. I like to say that uh, it's my life, but my life embroidered. Yeah, and it is fiction. Yeah, no, it's it. There's there's a lot of stories in there that resemble things, but it's not. It's it's completely, it's completely fiction. But it's, it's and it's done for hilarity to make you enjoy it, and it's an easy read. But again, it's smoke filled rooms available on Amazon.com, and I use my full name as the author, Aaron Goldbergson, on there. But what you know, David? Why don't you talk? We were leaving you out of the conversation yeah. here. Why don't you talk about your experiences in the cigar shop and the community? And heck, what was the first cigar you ever smoked? Oh, I think my first cigar was a Swisher Sweet way back in the in the days, and uh, not quite up to the up to par of what the what cigars we smoke nowadays. Of course, we're smoking uh, premium cigars. Uh, excellent, uh, excellent cigars are made nowadays. As a matter of fact, I've been down to Honduras. And to uh, Nicaragua on cigar trips in the past, and I've seen how the, the cigars are, are produced. It's a fascinating trip, and uh, we really enjoy all the cigars that we smoke. The beauty about the cigar stores is that you have all these uh, uh, regulars that come in all the time, so we end up with kind of a uh, friendly peer group, if you want to uh, look at it that way. And, of course, today I'm surrounded by these two uh, professional writers, I think the last uh, fictional uh, paper I wrote was my term paper in college, but nonetheless, we have a good time here. Oh, your term paper in college was fictional. Well, that was kind of fictional. Does that you might explain say. the grade you got on it? Well, no. perhaps. There, we won't go there. We won't go there. <laughs> well, yeah, no. My, my my first cigar was a Cuban Monte Cristo number no. two, given to me by Rush Limbaugh, which was amazing. And I've I've been in love with the cigar community ever since. What was your first cigar, Bill? My first cigar was, I think. Something like a Swisher Sweet. I was uh, 16 years old in military school in Louisville, Kentucky. And one of the kids there, he was from Cleveland. His dad was a cigar distributor or had some, at any rate, uh, he he's, uh, had some cigars. And I smoked one, and it was 
I don't remember it being a very pleasurable experience, but like everybody who's 16 years old, I was doing it because somebody else asked me to do it or told me to do it, and I wanted to be cool, so I did it. Yeah, I think I smoked cigars for about eight years before I even let my mother know about it, although that was kind of uh, uh, a... I was a little surprised that she didn't figure it out considering I would come home smelling like cigar, but I, I guess she had some nasal passage problems at the time, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we all get together and we got a, you know, a, a group of about 10 solid friends that they share life experiences together. And, and it, it is absolutely amazing. And I have not found it anywhere else. You know, I, and I also find myself with a kinship, I see a kinship with people in the news or celebrities when I know they're a cigar smoker. I want to know more about them. It, it makes me more curious. Cigar Aficionado is a great magazine. You know, when I was, uh, of course, Sean Hannity is a big cigar smoker. When I was working with him at WABC Radio and 15 years ago, he uh, he would always go down to, uh, he'd always have somebody go down to Nat Sherman's for him or, and, and grab uh, a stogie. Uh, but uh, that I, I, I get to brag and say that my first cigar was given to me by Rush Limbaugh, which is pretty cool. Well, it's so. safe to say that if you smoked a Monte, Cuban Monte Cristo as your first cigar, you've got David and I way out class. <laughs> got us beat on this one, sure, for sure. <clears throat> we give. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I didn't appreciate it the way I would now, but, yeah, that's definitely the case. And uh, it's, just, it's just a very cool situation. But uh, I'm Aaron Goldbergson, in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. We're going to take a quick break and be back. The Lee Brothers, fighting for liberalism. Oh, fighting liberalism. Sorry, guys. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's right. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. I'm Aaron Gulbrunson, in for the Lee Brothers, and we are fighting against liberalism on this show and fighting against general ignorance and having a good darn time doing it. I'm here with the uh, author, my fellow author uh, of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 69, William Gerald Hamby with Keith Publications, available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. If you haven't bought it yet, you should, just like you should buy my book, Smoke-Filled Rooms. Uh, they, will enter, they will both entertain you and make you laugh and probably give you a few insights about yourself. And then, then hear the esteemed former Henrico surveyor who actually, his immediate predecessor, David Holland's immediate predecessor, of, as uh, the county surveyor for the county of Henrico was George Washington. <laughs> so that either tells you that David was old enough to be there when, just after George Washington or, that, or that, that there was only two people qualified for that position, and one was President Washington and one was David Holland. You having fun, David? Oh, yeah. I was having a great time here for sure. So you're going to, you know, I was talking to David on the break, and he, he was going to tell us about a couple of his favorite cabinet picks and if they've been confirmed yet or not. I think it's... And I think everybody would agree with me. It's absolutely insane the slow pace the Senate has taken to confirm these no, you know, these nominees. There's nothing that's going to stop them from getting their jobs, but it's just taken so dang long. So what do you think, David? Absolutely. It's taking longer than it should take. But nonetheless, uh, President uh, Trump's cabinet is now taking shape. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think just maybe yesterday or today, Ben Carson... Uh, was confirmed. Ben Carson, of course, is uh, will be running uh, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, and Rick Perry was uh, confirmed, and he is going to be running uh, Department of Energy. 
But uh, we finally, uh, President Trump has uh, Rex Tillerson has been confirmed as in the State Department. He's got Steve Mnuchin uh, confirmed in Treasury. He's got James Mattis confirmed in Defense. Uh, Jeff Sessions, of course, is getting a lot of uh, railroading right now, but he's confirmed for Attorney General. And uh, things are coming right along, and so I believe that uh, President Trump is getting an excellent cabinet all set up. You have a particular favorite? Well, uh, to put it my, I've got a lot of particular favorites to get right down to it. But I like to see, uh, I like to see John Kelly, for example, is confirmed uh, in Homeland Security. That he will do an excellent job. Uh, I like to see Mike Mike Pompeo, uh, CIA director. He's now confirmed. Um, the list just goes on. I'm very satisfied and very happy with all of these uh, uh, choices that President Trump has made. I think he's uh, going to get a fantastic uh, cabinet together. Uh, these are good, loyal Americans who will do the right thing for our country, and that's what we've been needing now for, oh, at least eight years. Well, Chuck Schumer needs to stop playing politics and confirm all the remaining nominees. I mean, I, I, as much as I pay attention to politics, I'm, I'm actually surprised every day when I see someone is finally getting confirmed, but... Now my, uh, I have a sentimental favorite, and let she me, was. Let con- me guess, Kellyanne Conway. No, no, no. My sentimental favorite <laughs> in the cabinet, that or at least required confirmation, is Linda McMahon, for the Small Business Administration, because I am a huge WWE fan, and I th- I am just tickled to death that she is she ran the company well and that she got in the Small Business Administration, and the fact that our president is a member of the WWE Hall of Fame just tickles me to death. But, uh, Bill, do you have any cabinet uh, members that you really like or, well, you know, that, any criticism of any of the picks? Well, this this, uh, this this conversation is about my pay grade, but I do have a a, uh, a Rick Perry's. I mean, I like Rick Perry. Uh, the reason I like Rick Perry is because uh, my oldest son, Peter Hamby, who was head of news at Snapchat, uh, covered him and... He thinks Peter's fair. Peter liked him. But more importantly, my 92-year-old mother in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, Rick Perry was very nice to her. And my mom has a crush on Rick Perry. Therefore, I like Rick Perry. Well, as long as I get the Mama Hamby uh, (laughs) stamp of approval. Well, what I like about Linda McMahon being confirmed is that if anybody gets her a hard time, she'll just give him a body slam right there on the spot. So That's right, right through the table with The Undertaker coming in with the chair. Off the turnbuckle, <laughs> off the turnbuckle. Off the turnbuckle, that's it. Well, I'm Aaron Gulbrandson, and we're going to take a break, but the, I'm in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. Richmond's beacon of truth in the land of the free and the home of the brave. This is the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's right. This is the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW, com. I'm Aaron Gulbertson in for the Lee Brothers. Click on their picture on the website and you'll find out a heck of a lot of fun information about them and what they're doing. I'm here with the esteemed David Holland and the esteemed author of A Gambler's Fee, Summer 69, William Gerald Hamby. And to plug my book yet again, I am the author of uh, Smoke Filled Rooms, available on Amazon.com. So buy the book, grab a cigar, enjoy yourself. Uh, coming up after uh, the hour, we have a uh, candidate for governor, Denver Riggleman, the owner of Silverback Distillery, which will be very, very interesting. Uh, at, uh, and then look, looking ahead at 5 o'clock, uh, we've got governor, uh, former governor Jim Gilmore, 
who in my opinion is the greatest governor Virginia's had over the last 50 years. It's the only governor in that in anyone's living memory that cut taxes, and that'll be great. And he's also the dean, I believe, of foreign policy and national security in, uh, in Virginia. And then uh, we're going to be joined at some point uh, later on in the show by a good friend of uh, David Holland's, who does uh, Kurt Sumner, who does a lot of interesting work with the national surveyors and, you know, maybe has some insights into the wall. But, you know, we're, we're, we're really hoping that David Holland's going to be the surveyor on the wall. Oh, yeah. Uh, Aaron and I were up at Denver Rickman's Distillery uh, last month, I believe it was, and we, we checked out his, uh, his silverback, uh, uh, I guess it was a silverback brewer, uh, bourbon, I suppose it was, right? Yeah, and I, and, and I think he didn't have any left after you. Well, after it was you for, left. it was purely for medicinal purposes only. On our, <laughs> we're just doing a, t- a test case, is all. But he has a really good, uh, a good distillery, and if you have a chance, go up to uh, the Charlottesville area and try it out. Well, he, and Denver's a really interesting guy because he's he's very much in the Trump mold, um, and he's he's not a politician. Uh, he made his money and he started his distillery. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and be right back with Denver Riggleman. This is Aaron Goldertson in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That is 820theanswer.com. I'm Aaron Goldertson and in for the Lee Brothers. I'm sitting here with William Gerald Hamby, the author of A Gambler's Feast of Summer 69, Keith Publications, and the esteemed peer of George Washington, David Holland. Without the wooden teeth. Without the wooden teeth. Well, he's on the way to that, though. The dinosaurs roamed the earth, I'll Yeah, there you go. But now we have a very special guest, the candidate for governor, Denver Riggleman. How are you, sir? How you doing, Aaron? I am doing wonderful. I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard before, but we were talking about your distillery, David. I think drank you out of uh, most of your booze the uh, at your kickoff event, but uh, you know. Well, I, I heard you talking about George Washington. I wanted to be the next distiller politician, and you know, in Virginia. There. So I think I would be the first one since George. And by the way, I'm headed to the Bondurant Distillery in Chase City right now for a fundraiser. So I think it's you know all whiskey all day right now. <laughs> so. So, uh, so if I, uh, yeah, we're east of Appomattox, headed out to Chase City. So if we do lose you, I apologize, but I think we should be okay. That's that's no problem. So that means you have some something in common with David here, you, the the peers of George Washington. Then that's 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 a that's a tagline for yeah, you. Yeah, Denver. I'm I'm glad to see you and I are kind of in on the same tune on this one. This is good. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I think it's no secret on who David's going to vote for in the governor's race. I mean, I think you sealed the deal on that. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> I run on the important issues, Aaron, the important issues. That's exactly right. So, uh, you know, and you just opened up. Why are you running for governor, for those of us who hadn't heard from you yet? I mean, well, you know, it's anger. I mean, I had a, I had a friend of mine, um, and you know I know a, a few veterans, but he said there's sort of nothing like a pissed-off vet. And I think uh, after three years of fighting a multi-front war against regulations, taxes, trying to change legislation for small business, I think we have a disease in the Commonwealth. I think it's called cronyitis. I think it's something that, that spread throughout the Commonwealth. And that was the first thing, the symptom of what happened to me in building a manufacturing company, the fact that I was the CEO of a service company, what I saw in the regulatory issues here in Virginia, 
was really the tickle that got me going. That, that's what started the fire. And then, of course, it just went from there with my fight against Dominion. And all the things I looked at with lobbyists and the regulatory issues that we have here just are so onerous uh, and so controlled by the donor class that if you're not a politician, you need to stand up at some point, and that's why I'm running. What does the average voter not know about these regulatory problems and the issues that you're, you're bringing up about Dominion power and what goes on in the General Assembly? What do they not know that they should know? I think they should know when they look at their legislators, and it's not all of them. I don't know if it's the obtuse language or whatnot, Aaron, but I think they need to know what the donor class can do here in Virginia. When I say that is, what, what can monopolies do? Why are the legislators voting the way that they're voting? And when you look at the regulatory issues we face, if you look at the DEQ, you look at some of these regulatory agencies that fund themselves through fines and fees, they're incentivized to hurt small businesses, and they're incentivized to hurt Virginians. And they've created their own self like an ice cream cone. You know, if, if, it, it's very easy for them. You know, you go in there, you, ha- you have to find somebody to keep going. And you look at all the fees and tax structures for small businesses and, and citizens of Virginia, and most of those are not dictated by morality or ethics. It's dictated by who's giving money to whom. And I think that's something that, that the voters need to look at even in their own districts. So what I get what I get from you is that like President Trump, one your your one of your highest priorities is going to be cutting down regulations and, and government interference with small business and people's daily lives. What are some other priorities you have uh, when you're uh, if you're elected governor? Well, I think uh, another priority is, is is education. You know, the first one you mentioned was transparency. Um, you know, transparency and getting rid of those regulations. And and Aaron, I've heard somebody say, you know, that you know the two for one is fantastic. You know, for every two regulation, you know, every regulation we make, we'll get rid of two. Well, actually, how about we not make any more, right? How about we not make any more and just start getting rid of regulations? We'll be the first thing. Like, as far as transparency is concerned, it's not corruption. What if you're a monopoly or regulated monopoly? I think the other thing we need to look at all the way across the board is fixing our, our public education system. That means doing two things fixing our public education system by getting the federal government out. And second, really, is the liberty topic, which is school choice, and, and making sure that's front and center. All right, good. Uh, Bill Hamby over here has a question for you. Yeah, Dave, you sound like the man, uh, maybe. Denver. Oh, Denver, sorry about that. Uh, it's, radio is hard. I can't see. Uh, uh, I think I lost it. I apologize. There was just a little pause there. I apologize. I didn't hear you. Nope. Here's a question for you. Um, how about the uh, privatizing the ABC, the uh, ABC stores? Where well, are you on that one? You know, uh, <laughs> you know, I know a little bit about that. Topic. Yeah, that's why. That's why uh, I thought if, I'd ask. <laughs> if I had my druthers, we'd privatize it immediately. I don't know if that would happen in the four years that I'm doing it, but we need to reduce, you know, the power of ABC. Um, privatization and liberty in our economy is the only way to go. And I think we need to look at privatizing ABC. If you look at what Pennsylvania is doing, you look at all some of the other control states. And right now, there's 18 control states and there's 36 states. Uh, I think we lost Denver. He's been driving through the mountains and warned us about that already. But I mean, that that is a important point that the government shouldn't be in the retail business. Agreed. And the General Assembly needs to get off their duff and and pass a bill doing that. So we'll we'll give him a second if he's going to call back in, but we can. I mean, David, what do you what do you like the most about Denver Riggleman? Well, number one, Denver's just a great guy. He's, uh, you know, he's got a great background. I've met Denver. I met his wife and his 
and his daughter up there at the uh, distillery and really had a great conversation with all of them. Just a just a, a good grassroots guy. This is the kind of guy we need for the governor of Virginia. Uh, we need someone who, uh, who can really relate to the populace of Virginia. And I don't mean just some of the Virginians. I mean all Virginians. And so... Uh, uh, Denver, I think, is is the man we need up in the, in the governor's office for sure. Yeah, and apparently we need uh, improved cell coverage over certain parts of the the, the Commonwealth <laughs> because that's why we lost uh, Denver. Uh, but uh, it was good to talk to him, and I think he's a he's a real guy. I think that uh, when you meet him, and I've met him on several occasions, that's one of the things you get from him. Um, the thing actually I like the best about him that some of the other campaigns. Uh, uh, particularly the Gillespie campaign doesn't do is Denver asked for your vote. A few of the others do too. Uh, but you know, the, the, and we'll talk more about this in a bit, but I, I like very much that when I sit across the table from somebody, you can feel like they're, they're one of you. Maybe, uh, maybe he signed off because I called him Dave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's Hamby's fault. You know, the other thing I like about Denver is Denver is a businessman. He understands the world of business. He's not just your run of the mill politician. He really is a, running uh for governor uh, in my opinion because he really he really can relate to the business people here in virginia he knows what we need and uh he's he's just seems to have the right attitude toward uh, doing what's needed for the people of virginia i think i need to tick off off the top of my head well is i think he's the only lifetime virginian i believe he may be, uh, I, may be. I think that's right but uh, I think he's trying to call back in. Maybe we'll give him the last 30 seconds. All right, we're, we're waiting. Denver, you back? I, th- I think we're losing you again, Denver. Are you still there, sir? Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to reconnect they, with him they again. They just don't make cell phones like that. They, 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 they really they. don't. I mean, you know, that's unfortunate. But we're going we're gonna to take a break, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you. If you want to call back later on, we'll get you on if you get better cell service. But uh, I think the, the website's www.denverriggleman.com if anybody wants more information about them. Um, but uh, I'm Aaron Goldbertson, in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. We'll be back in a bit. Scott and Richard Lee, the yin and yang of talk radio, the Lee brothers on 820 WNTW. This is such a great song. I just get lost in it. This is the Lee brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. Click on the picture of the Lee brothers for all the information about the show. This is Aaron Gulbernson, the Cigar Man, in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. We've got the George Washington uh, peer here, David Holland, and we've got the esteemed author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer 69, William Gerald Hamby. Keith Publications, available on Amazon.com. If you do not buy the book, Bill will personally go to your house. That's right. All you got to do is go to agamblersfeast.com. And, uh... There's a Twitter and a Snapchat in there. Excuse me. Yes, you, uh, you can follow me on uh, on Twitter and uh, Facebook, and uh, I don't believe we're on Snapchat yet. Okay. Other, oh, you got an Instagram there. And Instagram, yeah. I think uh, I think Denver might be back. 
All right. We're, Hello. Well, how are you, sir? Hey, I have a new. I, I have a brand new topic of discussion. I think in a new. Uh, I think I got something I need to work on. It's the cell phone infrastructure here at the Cottonwood. <laughs> I think I'm going to look at more towers. There you go, and you and you can you can credit this uh, lovable group of. Uh, uh, putzes you're talking to on the radio. Hey, I'm Denver, just they don't make cell phones like they used to, yeah. do they? <laughs> I actually had a carrier pigeon, but it wasn't going to fly past enough, you guys. Yeah, so that would have been. Uh, well, we have a carrier eagle, so we might have been able to respond quickly. <laughs> might have killed my pigeon. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sorry about that, but I know we were talking about ABC, so I, I'm yes. sorry. I mean, there was a you know 10 mile stretch here that just sort of hurt us or whatever it was, but. Uh, no, I would. You know, I think we have to look at privatizing ABC. I've probably heard most of it, but I think we do need to go in that direction. So, what uh, what what do you think about? Uh, I'm going to throw you a softball here, but where are you in the Second Amendment? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Tomorrow is my shoot and greet uh, in Richmond at one of the gun ranges there. So, um, I, I'm okay on the Second Amendment. I think. Uh, you know, constitutional carry, obviously, for me as a military guy. Uh, my views on Second Amendment are down the line. What, um, actually, you want to, I mean, you brought it up. What, you want to give the details to the audience? Because we're primarily in Richmond here of uh, your meet and greet if they want to meet you. Absolutely. And I thank God I have Josiah here to tell me where that shoot and greet is uh, tomorrow. But I believe we're doing it around noon tomorrow. Yeah. And so Josiah's pulling that up right now because we're on the road pulled over. But yeah, Colonial Shooting Academy. But, well, in Richmond at noon. Yeah, the, the, all this, all the Second Amendment people know that. So you got Colonial Shooting, Shooting Academy. Meet Denver Riggleman. Uh, now he's an owner of a distillery, but that, and and he's famous for Silverback whiskey. But uh, there, there, I, I would imagine there's not going to be the mixing of that uh, at the gun range at this point. <laughs> no, we strongly discourage guns and whiskey together. I think, uh, I think first you shoot, and then you go enjoy whiskey responsibly in your home. Or in a place with the ABC license. There, there, there <laughs> so you go. We don't want to do that at the raid. That's correct. <laughs> so, what do you? Uh, what, how do you think the race is shaping up right now? What What are the differences you see? And we've got like three minutes to discuss this. But what What do you think the differences are? Are that? What do you? Th- what are the? What are the public telling you that that they like about you better than the other candidates? Well, you know, uh, you know, I think it's a it's a character thing, but I think it's an emotional thing. You know, the other three candidates have, what, seven decades of political experience. And when you look at it's 70 to zero on political experience, I think I'm up by 70 points with me being at zero. Um, right now, I don't know if people are looking at politicians or those who have been in the game to help them out based on what you see happening in the Commonwealth. The thing I get from most people, Aaron, is this. You're genuine. Uh, you know business. You know the tax situation. You know what you want. And I'm not afraid to say I don't know. And I think that's something that a lot of people, when you have a politician, it's transmit only a lot of times. And I try to listen more than I talk if I don't know something and try to learn from those, you know, telling me what's wrong with them or or what issues they have. And I I believe if politicians kept their ears open more and their mouths shut more, we might get more done. All right. Now, uh, let's do a little uh, gaming here. Let's let's assume right now that you're going to be the nominee. Who... Who, who do you think is the bigger threat to the Commonwealth moving past the primary, Northam or Perriello, or is the danger the same? Uh, you know, they're, they're sort of cut from the same cloth, but I think Perriello uh, I think he's has more energy than Northam, and I think he's a more dangerous candidate on the left. But I also think he would bring those, sort of those things that are anti-Virginia as far as culture to bear quickly. 
I don't think Perriello has anything he won't do. And you notice he'll change positions in a heartbeat right. if that's what polling tells him to do on the left. I mean, that's just how he's wired. Well, I, th- I think it's interesting that you've got a number of these candidates that are taking your messaging. It must be working because the number, a number of candidates on both sides of this are taking your messaging and taking your points. So I guess that's a flattering thing, but it also means that, you, that you're, you're cutting through the noise and, and saying the right things. That's... Well, you know, I just released that firefighter video, Aaron, about I did, you know, and there's things that I learned, right? I didn't know that insurance companies really controlled firefighter funding to localities. I had no idea. And um, didn't know also about the presumptive illness issues for firefighters. So I did a video at Virginia Beach, and it's because I know firefighters, and my grandfather was a firefighter, and my dad was a volunteer firefighter. So I do have history there. But what I noticed was the day later, you know, a couple of the other candidates came out with these videos of how they support emergency responders. And, um, and I also saw Tom Perriello on the Dominion issue, Corey on the Dominion right. issue. Uh, it just seems like it's – the thing is I think you should lead from the front, not from the back. Right. Uh, it's just – you know, I was a military officer. I was also military enlisted. I got to follow and lead on every single level. And I believe at this point De- I've got to lead from the front. Denver, I'm on a hard break, but thank you so much for your time. All right, Aaron. And thank you, you take sir. care, guys. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. This is Aaron Goldberton in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. Thank you. Truth, justice, and the American way. And that's just Richard, the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. Click on the picture of the Lee Brothers to find out everything all about them. They have kindly handed their show over today to, I'm going to start referring to us as the Cigar Boys. I'm Aaron Gulbertson, the author of Smoke-Filled Rooms. We have George Washington's best friend, David Holland, and the esteemed author of A Gambler's Feast, The Summer of 1969, William Gerald Hamby. His book is on Amazon. Bill, David and I have have met with Denver, have talked to Denver. This is the first time you're hearing him. What did you like about what you just heard? Well, I was predisposed uh, really to, I don't want to say not, like him, but uh, and that's just covers most politicians. Uh, but, but as a uh, someone who thinks, who I think I understand horse flesh, guy seems uh, sounds authentic. The way he, just the way he talks, and you know that's a big barrier. Right. So you know, on the phone, I liked him. We're we're gonna talk about that a little more. This is Aaron Goldbertson in for the Lee Brothers. The Lee Brothers. Intelligent, informed conversation with an occasional mispronounced word. 820 on 820 WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers, and that's right. We're on a highway to hell with, uh, <laughs> we're on uh, 820 WNTW. And uh, the website is a20theanswer.com. I am Aaron Goldbrunson, the author of Smoke-Filled Rooms, filling in for the Lee Brothers. We have a fellow author, William Gerald Hamby, the author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer 69. Find it on Amazon.com. And the true driver of the highway to hell, peer of George Washington, and apparently Denver Riggleman, David Holland. Hey, folks, David Holland here. We have a great surprise for you. Our past president, Bill Clinton, has just come into the studio to speak to us, and I'm going to have you t- have him talk to you right now. Bill, tell Hi. folks something. How y'all doing? I heard you guys like cigars. I'm uh, pre- 
I like. I, I love cigars. I, I'm a fan of cigars. They've got me through very, very good situations. But how are you doing, David? I'm doing real fine. Uh, you know, I must say though, I did. I never did inhale back in those days. You know that, don't you? Well, it's 30 years later. I get to say, I most certainly did inhale. Yeah. I yeah. really did. I'm going to retire now because no. I've had all I can take of politics. And you know, and you know why? Because I knew I was going to marry Hillary. And uh, and anybody needs to inhale if they're married to that woman. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, I am so glad that I do not have to walk the halls of the White House with her anymore. She is not the president. I have to tell you in secret, and don't tell Hillary this, when I went to the polls on election day this year, I voted for Donald Trump. I All did. Right. All right, folks, Bill's got to leave right now. All right, now, shut up, Bill. This is Aaron back here. here <laughs> Trump is doing a heck of a job as president. I really appreciate it. But uh, thank you to former President Clinton for making an appearance, you know. And... Uh, but, yeah, the greatest thing is that Hillary is not president, and those two are not anywhere near a position of power anymore. Isn't that, isn't that absolutely wonderful? Makes my so, day. But uh, Bill didn't get to finish his thought before on Denver Riggleman for governor. So, uh, you know, what do you, what do you think? And you, know, and you know Gillespie and a couple of the others, so maybe you can talk about, you know, how you think Denver stacks up against, uh, against them too. Well, I'm, I'm generally just wary of politicians because I don't like to be told what to do, and I don't I, – don't like to have people in my face claiming things. And I think that based on what I heard today, that um, seems like an authentic guy, knows how to, knows how to talk. I mean, he's uh, at ease. So I, you know, I liked him. I liked him. I like to meet him. I like to have a drink with him. Guy owns a distillery, right? Yeah, it's about, you know, 45 minute drive from us. So there you go. That's all right. And uh, if, if that's David. Why, that's why God created Uber. That is that is very true, and I think we have a number of funny Uber stories that we're not going to tell on the radio right now. But uh, now, so what? So, David, you, you uh, how do you think Denver stacks up, or how do you think they all stack up with Gillespie, Riggleman, uh, Senator Wagner, and Corey Stewart? Well, I, I said I, as I mentioned earlier in this broadcast. Uh, Denver is once again is a is a military man, ex military man. He's a businessman. You know, he's not uh, he 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 has not been a, has not been a lifetime politician, and uh, and so we have a guy here who is wanting to do the best for this for Virginia and for this country for that matter. And I think of the three of the four, I think Denver really stacks up to be the man that I'd like to see certainly get in as governor of Virginia, and uh, we'll see what happens. See, my, you know, I'm, I like politicians or I like aspiring elected officials that, or, or current ones that ask for your vote. And that's one of the things that's very impressed me about him is he asked for your vote. Uh, Corey Stewart will ask for your vote. That's impressive too. Um, Wagner does too, but Ed, Ed's, Ed Gillespie, I don't, th- he, he, he kind of assumes he has your vote and, and, or at least his campaign team acts that way. Like, it's their turn, you know. You're you got you got to be with that's that's kind of the the feel I always get from going to these events and when they're handing out. It's like, oh, you better put the sticker on. Well, no, I get you know I got to make up my mind. You should ask me. You should call me. You should develop a relationship. And I know that's more than the average person asks, but you know that's what we deserve. If you want my vote, you're going to have to ask for it. Will Denver be at the Shad Planking? I would imagine, and I would imagine he would bring some of his product there. Good which uh, 
We're all going down to the shad planking. So that means he's bringing some shad or some uh, some whiskey. That's I'm think I'm I, I think you're more interested oh. in the latter. So yeah, he's he. I would imagine Good. having having run shad planking events for candidates before. For those of you who don't know, the shad planking is an event that happens in mid-April uh, down at the Wake, uh, and it's hosted by the Wakefield Verdens. But it's an old Virginia wonderful tradition where all the candidates get together and they have a they give their speeches, which is which is not necessarily the fun part, but the fun part is there's a sign war, there is a lot of food, not just the shad, and you have to try the shad once, and then generally that's the last time you taste it. I've been to 10 of these things, and, you know, there's beer trucks, and um, sometimes there's somebody giving out cigars. Uh, I have developed a reputation, unfortunately, for carrying 20 cigars with me, so everybody comes up and uh, asks for a cigar. You know, Aaron, the last time I did the shag, I was down in Myrtle Beach years ago, you know? <laughs> the, the shag. Maybe that's the wrong one. We're not, not sure. talking about the shag oh, planning. excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's an, it's an interesting matchup with these Republican candidates versus the Democrat ones because the Democrat ones are in a battle right now over with Perriello and Northam over the soul of the Democratic Party. I mean, Northam, Northam is more moderate Virginia and Perriello is far-left Obama National Democrat. Perriello is actually what Tim, what Tim Kaine has become. And, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know with the backlash that the Democrats are having against Trump what's going to happen there. Well, when this whole thing started, I assumed Northam was going to cruise to victory, but now they're tied in the polls. Um, and I'll ask an interesting question to Bill, out of what you know of those two, if you had to assume one of them would win, who would you prefer? Which two? Uh, Northam and Perriello. Democrats. Oh, that's a jump ball for me. Now we're not we're not endorsing the Democrat ticket. We're actually completely anti it on the show. But I'm just asking a hypothetical. The answer is none. How about that? And none of the above. There you go. There you go. But now, I mean, now I think in a general election, Northam's the, the tougher candidate. He's, he's public about that he's voted for Bush. Uh, he, when he when I was living down in Norfolk, he had the reputation of the only time he ever voted for a Democrat was himself. Now that he's lieutenant governor and he's in a Democrat primary, he's had to take a lot of positions on the left. Um, I don't know if he can walk that back after the nomination is over. But my my perception would have been, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, I don't want the Democrats to win, I don't want to face Ralph Northam. Um, and, I, and I'd still lean to that position, but, I, and, you know, posing the, question, the hypothetical to myself, assuming it's a Democrat, I do think Ralph would be better uh, than Tom, because Tom is nothing more than a liberal left-wing socialist. But... And then on the on the Republican side, it's it's a it's a four way battle. Um, you know, Wagner is what I see as a, as a more regional candidate with his base being down in Virginia Beach, and he can run up the numbers there. The votes that Wagner gets, I think he's taking them away from Ed Gillespie. Um, Corey is tr- is running hard for the Trump vote that voted in the primary. Corey Stewart and. Uh, and let's see, we got uh, Gillespie. What do you think, David? Aaron, speaking of, you mentioned Lieutenant Governor a while ago. Tell me what you think about uh, Jill Vogel, for an example, for Lieutenant I Governor. think Jill Vogel's a front-runner by far. I think, uh, I think Glenn Davis would have uh, was hoping to take advantage of Reeves going after Jill 
uh, to get in there. But I think Jill, with the money, I think with her experience, with her policies, I think she's going to walk away with the nomination. Uh, and I think it's very helpful from a strategic standpoint to have a woman on the ticket the way the Democrats are are trying to wa- say the Republicans are waging the war on women. And if she's on the ticket, what are, where is the response going to be? Well, no, there's a Democrat war on women if she's on the Republican side. But what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the candidates in the LG's race, David? Well, I agree with you on that. I've met Jill, and uh, she is a fantastic uh, state senator and a fa- fantastic person. I think she's got her head in the in the game, and I believe that uh, with her experience, she would make a fantastic lieutenant governor for the for the Commonwealth of Virginia. All right, yeah, Bill's shaking his hands because he's not paying attention to the LG's race at all, which is really what the rest of Virginia is. They're they're. Uh, well, they're focusing on the national stuff. And not to claim that I'm your average guy out there in the, in the electric, but I think, well, you're, you're professional. Isn't that common? Yeah, it is. You, you focus on the lead guy. and You focus on the top of the ticket and then the bottom, you know, and, and the issues that go on below that. Now, Virginia's, listen, Virginians know who their governor is and they know who their attorney general is because they get the most press. The LG... Actually, constitutionally, it's a very limited job, so they don't get a lot of press unless there's a tie vote. And so everybody knows who Terry McAuliffe and Mark Herring is right now. Not a lot of people know who Ralph is. And the same happens when the candidates are running for these spots. They know who Ed Gillespie is. They've heard Denver Ringelman. You know, they know who Perriello and Northam are and that kind of thing. Well, we're going to take a break and, a, and, a, and be back in a bit. This is Aaron Gulbertson in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. The news as it should be. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. Click on the picture of the Lee Brothers. In for the Lee Brothers is Aaron Galbertson and the Cigar Boys. We've got George Washington's twin brother here. David Holland, the esteemed surveyor. We've got William Gerald Hamby, the author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 1969 by Keith Publications. The website is agamblersfeast.com. There's your plug in there. Thank you. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to have to start paying me advertising revenue with the amount of time. Checks saying. in the mail. Good. Yeah, it's good. Check is in the mail. You mean the cigars in the mail? Because, you know, that's how we right. pay each other in, uh, pay Confederate money, in, right? in the cigar world. <laughs> Barter. Yeah. That was a, that was an interesting little uh, visit we had from uh, old Billy Boy before. Eh? What? From, uh, that was a little interesting visit we had from uh, President oh, Clinton yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Bill was thrilled to drop in here for and talk to us for a while. You know, uh, Aaron and I were talking about some of uh, these great political parties that we've gone to in the last few years, and uh, we have done some really some nice, a lot of fun parties for sure. The world of politics is not as drab as you may think it may be. It can is be there uh, quite entertaining? The, can I go out on a limb? Sure. Since I've been to one of those things with you guys, and just assume that there's alcohol at all of them, and that helps. Well, there's been known to be a couple of bottles here and there, but I can remember about uh, politics is definitely not a dry business. Yeah. I can remember about four years ago when Romney was running his campaign against our great Obama there, and uh, Robert Duvall, the actor who lives up in uh, Loudon Loudon County, 
uh, invited. Uh, I, I was invited to his party. He was having a kind of a party for uh, for the, for those conservatives who like to watch their movies based on the actors' uh, political beliefs. Robert Duvall is a very big conservative. Yeah, so. great guy. Turns out Robert Duvall had a he had his he of course he owns a fantastic horse farm up in that part of, of Virginia and he had converted his horse barn the upstairs area into a fab, fabulous studio, dancing studio, actually. But he had couches around. He had a bar, of course. And, and he likes to tango. Likes to tango. A- actually, what guy. I what I just got from that was the only way Robert Duvall would let him on his property was to let him in the horse barn. Well, that pretty well covers it, yeah. But uh, I managed to sneak upstairs when no one was looking and, uh, and got to the bar, and we had a good time. And I asked Mr. Duvall, I said, you know, I said, I've seen I, nearly all of your movies, if not all of your movies over the years. And I said, what, what, in your opinion, is the most fun movie that you ever made? And he told me it was Lonesome Dove, which was right. the best movie I saw that, I, that he was in. So uh, I really could r- relate to Robert Duvall and his, uh, his stories of uh, making of Lonesome Dove. You know, you see a lot of interesting people at these things. I, I remember going to CPAC years ago, and I ran into, uh, oh, now it just went right out of my head. Who was who was the the singer who was big before Elvis? It was Pat, uh, Pat Boone. Pat Boone. I met Pat Boone, and he was all decked out in red, white, and blue, and it was it was very cool. Yeah. Of course, my favorite album by Pat Boone is is his metal album, which is and his <laughs> right. rendition of Enter Sandman was interesting. No, well, Dave, was, you know the wrap uh, of blue suede shoes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Lonesome Dove. Speaking of writers, since you're in a room with two of them, yeah, was uh, penned by the great Larry McMurtry. Who's written so many great mm-hmm. books about the West? Absolutely. And 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 David David hangs out with writers because he met yeah. he met another famous writer at a political event uh, recently too. Here you you know Patsy. Oh yes, indeed. I did. Uh, we we met uh, <laughs> Patsy Cornwell at a party here at a Christmas party, I believe it was, and uh, she was here in town writing her new uh, one of her new K Scarpetta books. Uh, really a, a nice lady, a real nice lady. Had a great conversation with her, and uh, she was very interesting, to put it mildly. She invited me out to Los Angeles to drive some of her Maseratis around, and I thought, well, maybe I should consider that. I don't know. That may be an apocryphal story, but so we'll, we'll see if we ever see a picture of uh, of, da- of David behind the wheel of a Maserati yeah. or a Ferrari. No, and I, I ran into John Voigt at the Republican National Convention in 2008 in the elevator. That was very, very cool. I asked him how he tolerates Angelina's uh, politics, and he just kind of chuckled at me. But yeah, there's a lot of there is for those who think that the world of politics is drab and is totally uh, Hollywood for the ugly people. It's not. It's actually actually very interesting, and you meet a lot of interesting characters, and it's very interesting to get to know uh, not just you know the celebrities, but people like Sean Hannity and. Um, well, here's a question for you, having just said that, um, before you hit the break. Why do people, I believe you, and I've had that same experience, why are people down, just in, have such a knee-jerk reaction, negative reaction to well, lots of politicians? Yeah, to, to give you the short answer, it's because they see a lot of nastiness on TV, but now we're up against a hard break. So this is Aaron uh, Gulbertson in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. The Lee Brothers, Virginia citizens, American patriots, on 820 WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. Click on the picture of the Lee Brothers. 
That is a wonderful song that brought up a lot of good memories of hope after 9/11 when the country was united together. Um, it'll be not, it'll it'll be nice when the when half of the country gets with the program right now because the president's doing a lot of good things to help the average person. And we saw that with the speech that we talked about before that the president gave earlier this week. Well, I'll tell you what I like. I really, really, speaking as a guy who's 67 years old and has a medicine, has a drug store in my medicine cabinet and pay for a lot of drugs every month, the fact that he's going after big pharma and the drug prices, you know, he could, I mean, that one thing alone it, it sold me. Now, competition is, it should exist in every form and prices go down and, and people shouldn't be gouged. That's, that's, that, I agree. That's, that's true. What's your favorite thing that the president's doing, David? I'll tell you what I really like about President Trump is he is now he's now uh, slowly but surely picking off everything that he promised to do in his campaign. He is getting rid of Obamacare. He is building the wall. He is uh, increasing the military budget. One after another, he is following through with everything that he promised to do during his campaign. And this is the first time that I can remember in a long time that a president has actually follow through with our campaign promises. Now, that was the one thing when people were talking about during the campaign. Oh, he's saying all the making all these promises, you know, most politicians don't keep the promises. He's he's taking a list, he's checking it twice and he's going down it. And I figured he would do that because that's the bluntness that he says things that sometimes people misunderstand is also the bluntness of when he says something he's going to give his darndest to do it. But isn't well, and and just to to reflect on what I'm here what I'm hearing is that he's checking off his list, but the checking off is, in a lot of cases, executive orders, and he's still got to deal with Congress to get those things turned into laws. Yeah, right? and, and we're up on a break, but Congress needs to go with the program on Obamacare particularly. They need to do the right thing and make sure we don't have another boondoggle. But well, this is Aaron Goldbertson, in for the Lee brothers, hanging out with the Cigar Boys on 820 WNTW. This is the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. I am Aaron Goldwinson, the author of Smoke-Filled Rooms, available on Amazon, hanging out with the other cigar boys, William Gerald Handy, the author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 1969, available on Amazon.com and stores everywhere. That's gamblersfeast.com. And David, George Washington's best buddy, Holland. We're hanging out here. We are very pleased. We have a very honored guest uh, we're about to talk to. He is the greatest governor Virginia ever had. He's the only governor in our lifetimes to lower taxes. He is the dean of national defense and foreign policy. Governor Gilmore, it's good to talk to you, sir. Thanks, Aaron. I've heard a rumor that the liberals are going to abolish cigars. Is that true? Well, they're trying to, but we're gonna we're fighting back, and hopefully President Trump and the Congress will, uh, will win the war for us on that. But, Jim, uh, we're going to put out a smoke screen just in case. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. what we'll really need to do to just protect ourselves is all stand around in a circle smoking cigars, knowing none of the libs will walk up to us. But uh, <laughs> So I wanted, and I, I do want to put on the plugs, uh, uh, Governor Gilmore's two big projects are uh, GrowthPack.us and American Opportunity. Is it .com or .org? I always forget. .org, uh, okay. Aaron. Uh, for your listeners, there are two different operations. GrowthPack is a political operation. We're raising money in order to try to elect good people to the uh, federal uh, races and state races. 
but also uh, the AmericanOpportunity.org is a nonprofit. It's tax deductible, 501c3. It's not political, but it does deal with political issues, particularly economic growth and foreign policy. Well, those are those are two very good projects. What did you uh, What did you think of President Trump's speech this past week? Look, I thought it was a good speech. Uh, he was knocked because they, they didn't think that he was giving a specific plan. But you know, the guy's been in office five weeks. He goes before the Congress. That speech is about about setting the direction and explaining the the what he's going to consider important and what he wants to get done and the direction of the nation. And in that, the speech was quite quite effective. I thought. And, of course, the American people thought so, too, and, and the stock market did. It went up like 300 points overnight. I keep, I keep looking at the stock market thinking that uh, I need to invest and invest quickly, but I really should have invested the day before the election. But uh, now, to, on a little more local note, uh, as we've been seeing our congressmen having town halls, Dave Bratt had a town hall where the protesters were there, and the protesters are all screaming at the Republicans, and Tim Kaine had a town hall a day or two ago. But he's so scared of the people that only his staff are holding them. What do you What do you think of Tim Kaine? You mean the senator wasn't there himself? No, he was not. He refuses to meet with the public. I think that's pretty weird. Uh, look, we we know that uh, what's going on here. the The left is organized. They despise President Trump, and they're they're organized through social media, and they're getting the word out. They are demanding that town halls be put into place. And then they're uh, using social media to make sure that the most radical elements will get there. Regular citizens can attend, too, and that's just fine. We ought to do town halls with citizens of good faith. But these are organized, and that's why you're seeing all this. And the goal is to amplify it through the television. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, Senator Kane goes, I think the, I think it's a little hard to kind of get hold of and figure out what he is. Uh, he uh, appears to be very moderate in Virginia, and I think that's why he has some popularity. But then when he goes on the ticket with Hillary Clinton, uh, he just smashed and smashed and smashed uh, Pence and prohibited him actually from participating in the debate by interrupting him all the time. Kane uh, is certainly anti-Second Amendment. Uh, uh, he's relentlessly anti-gun and everything that he does and says. Uh, so I, I just think that uh, that he's. A, but on the other hand, he he says very nice, moderate things. Uh, on one hand, I'm this; on the other hand, I'm that, and it, it it comes across sounding very, very good. So I think it's really up to the people of Virginia to decide over time uh, how they feel about Tim Kaine. Well, unfortunately, he wasn't very moderate when he was referring to fighting Trump in the streets. Uh, that that has shown him taking a very far left national turn, uh, and of course, uh, he shifted a number of his positions. In order to match Hillary, uh, which we which we know about, and I, I think I think there was a phrase that you coined about him during the uh, during the election. <laughs> yeah, I was calling him Timmy the Shifter uh, because uh, it, once again he's he's hard to get hold of. He he tends to change around uh, depending upon the the circumstances, and uh, you know, for example, offshore drilling, he was uh, very much in favor of, of building up Virginia's natural resources uh, with offshore drilling. And then when he went on the ticket, he, he changed his, his views on that. And there are some other issues as well. So it's just a matter of, uh, of shifting around. I just think that, that it, it's challenging. Uh, as time goes on here, the people of Virginia need to figure out who this guy is and whether he's really on our team or not. The, uh, the we know for uh, for certainty that he's been a uh, a very reliable vote for President Obama over the last eight years, 
Uh, so the question then is, is that the direction that the people of Virginia want to go in? They did vote for Hillary Clinton, after all. So we, I think we have to, to see how this develops. Governor, this is Bill Hamby. Uh, I, I know that uh, Aaron gifted you with a copy of my novel, Gambler's Feast, Summer 1969. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you read it, so don't worry about that. But we had a, earlier, we had a little discussion. Aaron asked uh, Dave and I uh, what we saw as uh, maybe relatable between the term, uh, tumultuous late 60s and a divided country and how the country is right now. You got any thoughts on that? Well, I was there uh, as a student. Yeah, I believe uh, we're the same age, so that's, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you sound younger than I am. Well, in any case, the, I was there in the 60s. Radio that was That was a really bad time. Um, that, I believe, was an effort by the far left to, to actually try to overthrow the republic. It, it really looked like uh, anti-war demonstrations, and it certainly was, but, uh, but it, was, it was quite violent and, and uh, quite, uh, quite bad. This is very similar. It seems to me like that what we're seeing right now is an unwillingness to accept the, the democratic process that we have in America. It's a, an unwillingness to accept the, the constitution of the republic. Uh, this election was held fair and square. Uh, three or four industrial Midwest states decided to change and vote Republican because they're frustrated with their economic opportunities and their job opportunities, and it's very straightforward. Uh, so uh, I think that this business of riots in the streets, the encouragement of rebellion, uh, Rosie O'Donnell the other day did a, a, a meeting in which she called for rebellion and armed rebellion. You said that Tim Kaine said that there should be resistance in the streets. Uh, you're seeing a, a lot of this going on right now, and I think that it's, it's very, very unhealthy and very dangerous. And I think that in a way it plays into the Russians' hands because what they're trying to do is to destabilize this country and the left in, in this country is accommodating. Well, that's a, that is a sad problem that we're dealing with. Um, what is the Russians' endgame? What do you think it is? Well, I, we, I've spent a lifetime uh, thinking about the Russians. And my degree at UVA was in Russian area studies. Uh, I, of course, chaired the National Commission on Terrorism. I'm a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. I've been around this business a long time as well as uh, being as working on the state level as attorney general and governor. But uh, it seems to me that what the Russians uh, do, want to do is to expand their empire again. I think they feel like they are not, never going to be secure unless they control things. Uh, so I believe that there's great danger to the Baltic states. I believe that uh, Poland should be very concerned. Uh, the Ukraine, I think, is the pivot on which their successes either turn or fail, and I think they're, they're physically invading uh, the Ukraine. They actually annexed Crimea in violation of all international treaties and laws. Uh, I think that, that uh, they're playing, however, a very weak hand economically and militarily. Governor, Governor we're and, up against a hard break. You mind hanging oh, on for another four minutes and we'll get we'll back, get back to finish your thought? Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thank All you. right. Thank you, sir. Hang on. This is Aaron uh, for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. Like Batman and Robin, your conservative dynamic duo. Just no costumes and utility belts normally. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. This is the Lee Brothers. And Batman and Robin are not here uh, today on 820 WNTW, the answer. Uh, 820theanswer.com. 
but I guess I'd call us the Cigar Avengers are here. I'm Aaron Gulbertson, the author of Smoke-Filled Rooms, Bill Hamby, the author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 1969, and George Washington's old cigar-smoking buddy, David Holland, over here. And uh, we're back with Governor Gilmore, and he was just... Uh, talking about uh, Russian incursion in uh, Crimea, uh, and I want you to be able to finish your thought on that, and then we'll talk about foreign policy a little bit more. Well, I'm talking too long. I, I keep forgetting I'm on radio. you got to come to the point. The point is that the, the Russians are trying to expand, and only the United States leadership is going to be in a position to stop it. But for all the noise you're hearing in Washington, it's this president who says that we ought to be building up our economy so we have more uh, revenue. It's this president who is willing to call it radical Islam. It's this president who's talking about military buildup. And it's this president that's honoring our veterans and our military forces. So I'm optimistic that the Russians will get that message. Are we going to? Uh, my question, and I and I think I know the answer to this is, is he he talked about sequestration in in his speech, uh, as part of his at the end of it, which is a very good sign, uh, especially for Hampton Roads. The question is. Does Tim Kaine put Virginia's interests at heart uh, when he votes for or against the budget? And if he's putting Virginia's interests in heart there and Virginia first, as he should as a U.S. senator, he's, he'd vote for the budget. But I see him probably voting against it. What do you think, David? Well, <clears throat> what is there to say about Tim, Tim Kaine that's, uh, that's positive? Not a whole lot. And uh, by the way, Governor Gilmore, uh, you might want to consider running against Tim Kaine uh, in this year's Senate race. What's your thoughts along those lines? Well, David, it'll be 2018. Uh, let's see how this how this goes. Uh, we'll get around the state and listen to some people around the state and see what they think. Uh, but I'm very honored to have your uh, your ideas about that and your encouragement. I appreciate that, David. Well, thank you. But I would I would think that would be a a, a wonderful thing if that were to happen. Well, well, David just wants an excuse to to, uh, to come to your house again. Is really is, is really what that's about. But... <laughs> well, I've always got good cigars at the house. That's for sure. <laughs> that that is very true. What uh, what do you think is going to happen in November of 2017? Is is Virginia going to reject the liberal policies of the Democrats? Or are we going to, or uh, or is or is it going to embrace them? Because that's that's another big question we've got to ask. And of course the. The candidates for governor need to talk about the needs of the people and the individual needs of the people and connect with them. But uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I certainly remember when I uh, put the car tax cut in, in in Virginia. And by the way, that it's still a remnant of it still left and that my successors kept and they ought to be getting rid of it. But uh, uh, but, you know, you got to have a message to the people of Virginia that's going to talk about how you're going to advance their interests. And we, we haven't seen yet the full message of either the Republicans or the Democrats. Uh, and on the other hand, I think the, the people of Virginia are going to have a chance to decide whether the direction that President Trump is trying to go is the right direction. And if they conclude that uh, we ought to be building up the economy, creating more jobs, having a stronger military, uh, and uh, a more decisive foreign policy, then I think the Republican candidate for governor will have a very good chance because they're going to want to reaffirm that and send somebody to the governor's mansion in Richmond who will at least be supportive of that direction. Of course, if the people of Virginia decide that uh, they want to go back to the Obama years of higher taxation and slower growth, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the kind of welfare-type of program, then I, I think that uh, the Democrat will have an opportunity. So let's see how it develops. You know, Jim, David Holland, again, uh, 
You know, the car tax that you had passed when you were governor uh, has, I've got four cars. Over the years, that has saved me a phenomenal amount of money, and I really appreciate what you did uh, as governor. As a matter of fact, I, I would have to consider you the one of the better governors that the, the Commonwealth of Virginia has had in its long history. So you've done a great job, and I hope you keep on doing a great job like you've been doing. Well, thanks, David. What we did uh, was put in a five-year phase-out program. We got a minute to the break, just to let you know. And and we got 70% off, but uh, the the successors kept the other 30%. I believe it ought to all go away as soon as possible. What else can I tell you? Well, thank you, Governor, for your time. That was Governor Jim Gilmore. Thank you, Governor. We really appreciate you calling in, sir. Governor Gilmore was the best governor we ever had. He really was. I mean, that's – and when a governor cuts taxes – and there's so many other things he did for minority communities, for college students. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And in any way he can ever serve, well, we should appreciate him. But I think we're up on a break right now. And uh, this is Aaron Gulbranson in for the Lee Brothers with David Holland and Bill Hamby on 820 WNTW. If political talk radio makes you sick, throw up with the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. This is the Lee Brothers, and we're, this is Aaron Gulbertson in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW at 820theanswer.com. And I hope we're not causing anybody to throw up today with uh, David Holland and uh, the author of A Gambler's Free Summer of 69, uh, William Gerald Hamby. Buy it on Amazon.com. Bill, you had an interesting uh, 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 insight about our last segment and the car tax. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, my buddy here, the uh, personal friend of George Washington, Dave Holland, uh, told the governor that he, he had four cars and he really appreciated him impl- implementing the car tax and how much money he saved over the years. All I can say is I really did appreciate it at the time too, although I think at the time I had one car. So, you know, I mean, I don't have four cars, but I mean, I still appreciated it. Well, David seems to roll with George Washington, so, I mean, I, I, that's all I could say. Now now we know who the richest guy in the room is here. I, I have nothing to say in my defense, so I will just kind of hold it where, where it stands. That would be a first. And by the way, while we're at it, Sarah, thank you so much for your help on the show today. Great job. Thank you. You're, you're making our lives Great easy. Job. This is Aaron Goldbergson in for the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. We'll be back. You may try all you want, but it's too hard to argue with common sense. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. You're listening to the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. That's 820theanswer.com. This is Aaron Goldberton filling in for the Lee Brothers. With uh, I am the author of uh, Smoke Filled Rooms, available on Amazon.com. We have George Washington's best buddy, uh, David Holland, over here. They're both surveying buddies. They used to go out and survey the land together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that means David's immortal. And then we have the author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 69, Keith, uh, Keith Printing. I think I just said that wrong, but that's all right. Uh, William Gerald Hamby. Now you're going to have to correct me on that. What was it? Keith Publications. Uh, Keith Publications. Okay. <clears throat> well, it happens. We're live here on the radio. Now we've been joking and talking about it so much. Uh, surveying is, is the life that, uh, David Holland led and, uh, knows a lot about, and we're talking about that for just a little bit. 
and because we got a friend of his calling in to talk about the national stuff in a little bit. In the next few uh, minutes, our guest will be uh, Kurt Sumner, who is a fellow Virginian and is also the executive director of the National Society of Professional Surveyors. And uh, he's on. Oh. As National Society of Professional Surveyors, uh, we are the uh, the organization that is the the every state in the world of land surveying has a state association just like most professional organizations have. But above that, we have the National Association. I happen to be the director from Virginia for the National Association, and we have a director from every state. And on March the 15th, we'll be holding a, uh, our annual spring board meeting uh, up in Silver Spring, Virginia, or uh, Maryland, I should say, Silver Spring, Maryland, D.C. area. Where we will don't, be don't make Virginia any more liberal by really adding I, uh, Silver Spring. I hope spring. that wasn't an insult to anyone out there, but anyway. <laughs> where we will be holding a lobby day, and therefore what we have uh, 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 as our guest is uh, Kurt Sumner, who's going to tell you something about our political uh, issues that we will be having in the world of land surveying up in uh, Washington, D.C., when we meet with the senators and congressmen on March the 15th. So with that, uh, here is Kurt Sumner. Thank you, David. Glad to be with you guys today. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate the opportunity. As David said, our, our national organization is made up of surveyors all across the country, and of course, each of us in our respective states have issues, and many times they're the same issues, they're just approached a little differently from state to state from a legislative and governance perspective sometimes. But we also have national issues about which we are interested, and of course, our national organization being here in the D.C. area is responsible for representing our surveyors all across the country on those national issues. And we have some, I won't say partners, but like-minded other professional groups that we interact with. And so when we're lobbying for a lot of these issues, they're not just ours, but other people's as well. But the ones that we've got coming up this particular time um, is flood insurance reform. Um, And it relates to elevation data. Everything about that happens in the world is connected to elevation in some way. So, I mean, you can look at flood mitigation, conservation, management, infrastructure development, national security, on and on down the line. And one of the issues that has been out there for decades is uniformity in data sets as it relates to all geospatial data, but in particular elevation data. Uh, Throughout time, our different government entities have set up their own elevation data, and you might think they're all exactly the same, but the way they're put together, they, they may not be. So we're, we're pushing for uniformity in, in that particular area as it relates to all the things I talked about, uh, infrastructure, of course, being one of those as well. So um, the whole idea of utilizing the natural resources we have most effectively, how this affects roads and bridges, airports, uh, as I said, you, you name it, it affects everything across the board. So that we're actually looking at two different things there. One is the, the flood insurance reform and then the, the, all the bills that are coming up related to infra- infrastructure uh, design and, and improvement. Kurt, Kurt and, this, is, this is Aaron. Um, I had a question for you. Is there, and this is interesting, is there any difference or what are the differences between uh, how – your issues are, you know, are how a Democrat or a Republican administration affects your issues. 
is there is there a certain because this this is more of a nonpartisan kind of thing you're dealing with. So I'm I'm just curious if there are differences. Uh, it it can depend on their particular viewpoint on what's important. For example, one of the things that in in the whole development of utility infrastructure, then obviously if you're talking about things like pipelines or those type of things, you're going to see different. Uh, we're talking about the transmission pipelines now, but uh, you're de- definitely going to see differences of opinion. Not so much so necessarily in the need for the the utilities and infrastructure we're talking about. How you're going to pay for it? Oftentimes, you're going to see different ways or different attitudes about it. But um, we have pretty good support, I think, from from both sides on these issues that are sort of overarching. They they, they sort of get away from the political arena, other than when somebody has a special interest somewhere, of course. Okay, that makes sense. Now, how did you get into how did you get into doing what you're doing now? Um. Because I have a southern accent and I talk slow, I suppose. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Virginian as well. I, I grew up in the southwestern mountains of Virginia, a little town called Hillsville, right along the North Carolina-Virginia border. And um, went to school in Blacksburg and was in business there for years in a, in a partnership. And in 87, I moved to northern Virginia and worked in a couple of companies, ended up starting my own company. And all through the time in the 80s and 90s, I was involved with this national organization representing Virginia the way David is now. And um, so the year I left being president of National Society of Professional Surveyors in the spring, that summer, that was in 1998, they asked me to come over to the national headquarters and sort of mind the store for a couple of months while they found a new executive. Their executive had resigned. And so it's been a really long two or three months now. Here we are almost... 30 years later, uh, or 20 years later. Now, do you have any stories you can tell on David about some conventions or anything like that? All, that's what I'm... All, all positive stories, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I could tell you stories about David, that whether are... it's related to conferences or not. I mean, but <laughs> you, you, you probably know him as well as uh, I do. I, I know them, and I have witnessed some of them, so... <laughs> I can see right now this radio show is out, getting out of control. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not going to talk about any of this stuff on Kurt, the air. Kurt, be sure you tell our audience about Mount Rushmore now. That's important. Yeah, well, a lot of folks don't realize that uh, surveyors' description of Mount, of Mount Rushmore is three surveyors and some other guy. Um, and that's because um, three of the presidents on Mount Rushmore were surveyors, and the one who wasn't specifically a surveyor, which is uh, Roosevelt, actually did a lot of surveying, particularly when he was doing things like Suez Canal, or the, not Suez Canal, but the Panama Canal. Um, so surveyors are really proud of their tradition um, and the fact that so many of the early presidents were surveyors. And sometimes that was kind of out of necessity, I suppose, because they needed to get things done, and we didn't have a, quote, profession back then. Um, David and I, of course, claim that the first actual person on the in the colonies who surveyed land to divide land and those kind of things was Captain John Smith. Uh, he had been a chartered surveyor in England before he came here, and he did lots of things in the Virginia colonies, everybody knows. Another close friend of Dave's. Very, yeah, they. I think they grew up together. Yeah, we That's used to go out and gamble together. <laughs> I, I, I heard they dated the same girl yeah. at one point. Yeah, and, and I suppose you know who won. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. 
But we, um, one of the other things that we really push for is um, taking better uh, advantage of the expertise in the private sector to do the work that needs to be done. Um, as I said before, each of the states has licensure structures for pretty much all professionals, surveyors being among them. And uh, so we, we're strong proponents of, of the private sector. And having said that, that doesn't mean we're against people being in our profession in the public sector because that's important too. But when, when there are things that can be done through the private sector, we, we tend to lean on that side of things and, and moving in that direction. And, and protection of our licensure is, is a big issue. Uh, you probably are aware of the fact that there, in a number of states there are initiatives out there about reducing the number of activities that are licensed. And in some cases that may be probably is warranted, but certainly not in the professions that, like surveying in particular, where we're charged with the responsibility of helping people have information about and protect one of their most prized possessions, which is their land. And you need people who are, are qualified and have proven to be qualified through licensure. So that's another big issue that we deal with, sometimes on the national level, but more often with uh, helping out our state groups. Okay. Well, we're educating people on this show today. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Kurt. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to call into the show. Uh, we'll, uh, hopefully we get to do this again and keep educating people on various. We've got surveying covered, cigars covered, and we're having a good time. And maybe, just maybe, someplace at some time we'll tell uh, a few stories on David Holland. So then... <laughs> it's been fun for me. Thank you. It's kind of nice to be on the guest side instead of the host side on the radio right. show. For Kurt, thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming on, and we'll see you in about a week and a half up in Silver Spring, Maryland this time. All right, David, travel safely. You guys take care. All take right. care. This is the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. Thanks. Ten minutes. That's it. Ten minutes and a black Sharpie budget crisis solved. The Lee Brothers, problem solvers on 820 WNTW. And we got 10 minutes left on the highway to hell here with the Lee brothers and the cigar boys subbing for them. This is 820 WNTW. I'm Aaron Gulbertson, the author of Smoke-Filled Rooms, available on Amazon.com. Still here with William Gerald Hamby, author of A Gambler's Feast, Summer of 1969 by Keith Publications, available on Amazon and stores everywhere. And the man, the myth, the legend, David Holland. Used to chase ladies with George Washington. That's what we, you know. Well, we got about 10 minutes left in the show. This has been a heck of a ride. It's been a lot of fun. It's been been a lot of fun. So let's continue to have a little bit of fun. Bill, what ticks you off? People who don't buy my book. Yeah, me too. I I get that. So uh, that's a gamblersfeast.com, by the way. No, the thing that, well, a lot of things irritate me. I'm 67 years old. I mean, come on. Uh, Chief among them. Are movies, not movies, people that talk in movie theaters. Not only that, people who eat in movie theaters, people who tap the back of my seat in movie theaters, people around me in movie theaters. In fact, the best time of my life is when I took my seven, then seven-year-old son to the movies during the afternoon one summer. There was nobody in the theater. So I stood up and made a speech to an empty theater telling them how much I appreciated it. So, I mean, that's just one. I could go on forever. That sounds like a story that should be in another book, though. True. So what about you, David? What ticks you off? 
Well, actually, Aaron, I guess the uh, the big thing that uh, uh, a dry cigar ticks me off. I, I like a good, <laughs> firm, fresh cigar. Uh, Careful, Dave. With a good flavor. <laughs> but other than that, you know what? I retired about uh, three months uh, three months ago, and so right now in my wonderful retirement, not a whole lot of anything ticks me off anymore because. Life is good, and I highly recommend retirement. Well, it was due to the fact that you are retired that we got you to come in today, because I knew you had nothing better to do than to come sit on the radio Right. With in fact, us. David, the fact that you are around so much is irritating me. I mean, <laughs> maybe you should go get a part-time job or something. That's funny. I that, my wife says the same thing. I don't get it. Well, you know? I guess I guess we're going to have have to get President Trump to uh, have David be the surveyor when they build the wall. Or just it, maybe have maybe put some people back to work and put – the fifth face on Mount Rushmore. There you go. Well, there you go. Or we'll give, or we'll get David a job cleaning the. Uh... Well, I was hunting for that new uh, Wal Walmart greeter job, but they turned me down. So I don't know where I'll go from here. You know. <laughs> Let's see what ticks me off. Just about everything, but people who people who pretend to be something they're not tick me off. People who pretend to be righteous in politics and they do dirty deeds tick me off. Taxes tick me off. Let's see. The New York Knicks tick me off. The New York Yankees tick me off. <laughs> Let's see. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan and a Miami Heat fan. So, And we have baseball season starting very soon. Thanks. Actually, spring training has started already. Who's your team, Bill? My baseball team. Yeah. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, so I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. But since I am in the kitchen every night cooking and the TV is in there and the Nationals are on, I've become a Nationals fan. Nats gonna be any good this year? Uh, they should. They should. They should be contending. I'm. I'm hoping the Mets get to get to the uh, contenders again too, and not have just a one game show in the playoffs. But I'm actually rooting for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats to go deep into the tournament. Yeah, you will. You will often see on on uh, Bill's Facebook, "Well done, Bearcats." What about you, David? Well, what uh, what one other thing ticks me off is when the Patriots beat the uh, Atlanta team falcons there at the super bowl that was rather upsetting especially since atlanta kind of fell on their face in the second half but simply my favorite team is the uh denver broncos so i really didn't have a dog in that fight so other than I, that, I I see got, a, I've got, i'm over it now i see a pattern here you like the denver broncos you like denver riggleman this this yeah. there's there's something about denver to you i think denver but is calling spe me. speaking of the super bowl did you see that really silly article i forget one of the players on the, the Falcons blame the collapse, and I like to blame Lady Gaga for a lot of things, but they blame the collapse on Lady Gaga. I did and, not. Yeah. It, but it's about the silliest thing, thing I've ever seen. You can obviously Google it. But we got one more segment left after this, and I want to thank the Lee brothers. I want to thank Sarah for helping us out today. It's been fun. This is Aaron Goldbertson in for the Lee brothers on 820 AM. We'll be back. Their solutions are so powerful that we should consider allowing a co-presidency. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. This is the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW, 820theanswer.com. Click on the picture of the Lee Brothers to find out everything you need to know about them. I'm Aaron Goldbergson. Today, us, the Cigar Boys, have been subbing, and hopefully we didn't get them tossed off the air. Uh, we're going to go with final thoughts here. First, from William Gerald Hamby, the author of A Gambler's Feast from Keith Publications. Uh, but my final thought is to thank you, Aaron, for inviting me on to talk about my book. And uh, people should buy your book, too. But uh, a gamblersfeast.com. 
Check it out. Buy it on Amazon. Coming of age in turbulent times. My final thought is exactly what Bill said. Buy smoke-filled rooms. Available on Amazon.com, CreateSpace, a lot of different places. Google it. It's in Barnes & Noble. You can find it anywhere you want. But again, that is smoke-filled rooms. David? Well, my final thought is that I've never written a book, but uh, if I ever do write a book, I want all of you uh, fine folks to buy my book. So with that, we've had a great time today here in the studio, and if you've had a good time as we have, then you're ahead of the game because this has been a really good time for us. That's it for all of us. We've had a lot of fun here. Thanks again to the Lee Brothers for letting us borrow your airtime. I'm Aaron Goldenson. Have fun. Pick up a cigar. Onward Smoke them if you got them. Onward and upward. My friends, we did it. We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger. We made the city freer. And we left her in good hands. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. And so, bye. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America.